Sonic State. Let's, let's get going and hello welcome everybody to sonic talk number 168 uh we're recording live today wednesday the what is it it's the 10th of march uh, should be live on the itunes type feeds and everything tomorrow morning uh, if you're not listening live um, and you don't know about live do come on over to sonicstate.com forward slash live on wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m uk time and join all the f- other chatties in the chat room where you can listen to the live stream and uh, participate in a sort of textual conversation with lots of uh, got lots of regulars there good to see everybody in uh, we've even got um, mr kiwi steve who is um, a, a, a great devotee and up early in the morning in um, in new zealand i believe Good for you. Big shout out to you. Anyway, um, my local guests are, and we'll start on uh, the other side of the pond, we'll start with Rich Hilton, who is, of course, highly qualified recording engineer, producer, Pro Tools guy, player, works with the stars on a regular basis. Did you get an Oscar this week? No, no. They heard that I was only highly qualified on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so they left me out of the Oscars. Damn, that's a shame. Anyway, how are you, Rich? This is Mr. Rich Hilton. I'm really good, thank you. How about you? I'm good too. MySpace.com forward slash Hiltonius, where you can see what he's up to. I've noticed you've been posting some lovely pictures of the uh, your Fijian trip. Was it Fiji or Hawaii? Uh, it, it, those are pictures from Hawaii from a couple of years ago. Ah, I remember. What happened is there's a, there's a magnificent tree I found that I took a picture of, and I found that picture. Yeah, I took that picture, and then I was going through the the uh, folder of photos and I thought well people might like some of these so I posted them and they do look very nice in fact that's on Facebook so are you guys actually thinking of marketing that Imposter 2 hardware interface <laughs> <laughs> well, where have you seen it then oh of course it's all over my um, pictures on Facebook yeah of course actually uh, it was one of the wait, other wait. chat people who called my attention to it so wait a minute what's going on here have you seen it no, I haven't. Bloody great, man. Hardware <laughs> interface. Nice. Yeah, we had a controller built for it. The big box. And, and it's huge. It's <laughs> oh, brilliant. It's going to be... Oh, we'll have to check that out. So is that a one-off or a marketing concept? At the minute, it's a one-off. What, um, you know, when uh, Chris and I do these rigs for tours and stuff, and we did... In fact, when I helped out the Ultravox guys last year... We approached, you know, approached everything from a sound perspective, and then all of a sudden it was like, do you know what? A, a guy hunched over a Novation controller with an Apple laptop on stage just doesn't look like it used to, does it? So we had this idea of ripping apart Odysseys and Moogs and stuff like that and putting controller keyboards in, and then we thought, that's so wrong on hundreds of levels. <laughs> yes. And then this guy came up and sort of said, look, I build these controllers. And in fact, his website's amazing. He's built some really, really slick stuff. So we kind of went, hey, let's use this as a test. It's not finished yet. No, of course not. Well, as is the way with I everything would, well, we would I, would I, I wouldn't expect anything, anything different, David. It, it would be wrong of me to assume anything different, I think. But it will be, I'm sure. Yeah, because yeah. it's not us. It's him doing it. Does look nice, about the size of uh, an analog console, mind? Yeah, I don't quite know how I'm going to get it in here yet. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you might have to get rid of a couple of things. No. Wow! Look, there's a picture of him drilling through a hole and everything. That does look like it's going to be kind of expensive. 
Yeah. Mass production is not something I'm thinking while I'm looking at these photographs. <laughs> no. Not in that form, but certainly. <laughs> is it going to be ready for Mass? Are you going to take it over? Uh, it might be. I don't know yet. And it's already in Germany, so you don't have to mess around... Um, yeah. With customs yeah. and... I'll, I'll bring it down when it's, uh, when it's done. I'll bring it down. Oh, yeah. Got to do that, man. Excellent. Well, anyway, of course, so, so that means I'm introducing Dave Spears here as well, uh, oh, G4 yeah. Software. Um, he's just posted a link to uh, a one-off hardware controller for the forthcoming Imposca 2 uh, soft synth. So, uh, yeah, check that out. The link's in the show notes, which you will be able to see. Uh, well, it's in the chat room. It's in the chat room, and you'll be able to see it if you click on the show chat room transcript, because we take a transcript of the chat room as well. So you can kind of get a feel for what goes on during the duration of the live show at the same time. Uh, first of all, I would like to mention something. I got an email from AudioEase, who, as we know, have actually modelled um, some of their speakerphone algorithms on what the Sonic State podcast talks like when Dave Robertson phones in uh, over a phone line. So I feel it's only fair in return to offer them uh, a little bit of extra promotion here. Apparently, uh, I got an email just now, in fact, which said uh, we forgot Snapper's birthday last, me- last month. Snapper, of course, is the... Oh, the oh, a Mac OS X kind of audio utility that's very cool for sort of playing files and clipping things and dragging and spotting to uh, Pro Tools uh, timeline, all that kind of stuff. Very, very handy. Um, but they, they're actually going to make a Snapper giftware. You can buy it. If you know a Snapper owner, you can... Um, you can ask them to give you a present, which uh, you, what you do is... It's, I think it's US dollars 30... Uh, €39.49 dollars uh, at a heavily discounted price uh, if you ask uh, a current snapper owner to um, recommend you as a buyer audioease.com forward slash give snapper um, so that might be some use to anybody if anybody you if any of you guys at the present company obviously need one i can sort you out because i'm an owner of snapper but that uh, before I start getting t- hundreds of emails saying can I have one, I might have to limit it because I'm not sure how many I can sustain. So anyway, I just wanted to put that out there because um, AudioEase we like them. We're- so anyway, um, what should we start with? Oh yes, it's the Rock Band Network author. We've talked about this in the past. I've got a track here which I would like to play to demonstrate. <laughs> That was uh, Colour Theory, and that was a sort of attachment to the blog uh, by a chap called Brian Hazard, who has, in fact, uh, created a rock band network track that you can download and play on your very own uh, version of rock band um, on your, what is it, PS3, Xbox, all that kind of stuff. So you can actually buy it now. Uh, and he just goes into the authoring process, which I always sort of find quite fascinating. It seems like it's actually quite involved. But what that you heard there was the Rock Band game playing an automated session, so with all the, th- the things playing properly. And that's what you'll get out of it at the other end, assuming all the parts are played right, I'm guessing. The Rock Band Network, um, it, the idea about this is a new distribution platform. So you can take your song, Rock Band Network-ize it, uh, and then sell it for one, two, or three bucks 
so that people uh, can download it. This has got a potential audience of like 5 million because I guess there's loads of them. Xbox 360 is what you need apparently with a 20 gig hard drive to do the actual development on. So what you need to have to do this is multi-track sessions of your song, including a dry vocal, yeah, fair enough, computer running Windows, Xbox 360 with, with at least 20 gig hard drive, Rock Band 2, Premium Creators Club membership at 9 bucks a year, a gold subscription to Xbox Live, Reaper Audio Workstation, and uh, which has got sort of various pla- uh, uh, plugins that allow you to do this. You need to prepare stems from your original recordings, learn a new door, plus custom strict, play the game proficiently on all instruments at difficulty levels, uh, transcribe a vocal performance to MIDI, um, play the drums, connect your Xbox 360 to the computer. So quite a lot, because actually what you have to do, I noticed, there's actually animations of all the people playing along with the, the song, which happens sort of in the background. So it's quite involved, but I mean, the, the rewards are potentially massive. Say 5 million, you get a 70-30 split of whatever you charge. So say you did, uh, I don't know, 100,000 100, bucks. 100,000, you sold 100,000 at $3. You're going to be making a reasonable amount of money out of that. 30 grand. Could be. Could be. But that's, you know, 100,000 of 5 million. You obviously have to promote it and stuff. It's just an intro. I mean, this is a totally new way of selling your stuff and as it's de- and it's deconstructed and what have you i just well, wonder what you what you thought about it really well having gone to this exposition about six months ago and heard them describe this it 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 serves up on this topic just exactly the way they said which is it's not for the faint of heart it will take you probably two weeks per song to do it will cost you this much money and that much, and the hope for revenue goes like this. And uh, this is how the split is between the artist and us as the rock band network. Um, so the, the, thing, the thing of it is you could spend those two weeks, pay all that money, and you're subject to the approval, basically, of the other rock band network members before it gets sold. Oh really? I didn't know. I didn't know that bit. So you actually have to. It has to go out to kind of uh, to the other players and see. Now, yes, it does. And they were reassuring that mo- that their existing network is made up of kind, wonderful, reasonable, musically talented <laughs> people who would not otherwise impose their personal tastes. No petulant teenagers that. at all. Yeah, apparently. So. Um, <laughs> Steve mm. just made me laugh in the chat room. Um, <laughs> So, so it's exactly as purported, and I'd be interested to see how many folks will, A, pay the money and take the trouble and the time and actually learn the thing, and B, develop a revenue stream out of it. They believe that this is – they believe, and I've heard others who believe this too, that the future marketing of music, or at least as it stands now, relates very heavily to appearance in video game formats and that the rock band and garage band uh, – or guitar hero rather uh, – games provide a distribution outlet for new music that is otherwise lacking in our culture and i, d- so I don't think that's a wrong supposition but things are moving so fast at the moment it's kind of hard that that's that they've they thought of this quite some time ago and it must have taken them it's taken a while to implement so and as it is like i said you're looking at a week to two weeks worth of work at minimum to get it right and working well or you can, you can pay someone else to do it well, and there might be a business in that. There might be a you know a startup business in that. I'll do all your rock band conversions. Yeah, That's I mean, I think somewhere in the article he quotes about about thousand bucks for a track. Oh, they'll you, do it. I see. 
So, well, not him, but I mean, a, an agency. I've forgotten the name. I did actually have a, a link Tune to it. Call. Tune Call. <clears throat> that was it. Mm. So you're talking a thousand bucks. I mean, that uh, if you're going to invest two weeks and a couple of hundred bucks plus all the other business in, in it, that's probably not. I mean, obviously, if your time is cheap or free, then yeah, then no, no contest. But if you're busy and you've got promotions to do or whatever, and you want to give it a go, it's probably not. It's not bad, but obviously you've got the issue. Whereas if, if it doesn't get approved, then you, then it's wasted money. I'm guessing. Is, is it that much different to say doing an iTunes app? Uh, no, I don't know. Uh, to be honest, I don't know. Uh, I mean, obviously the framework when I did the iDrum stuff, the framework for iDrum was already built. So all I had to do was shoehorn various stuff into that. Hmm. This, uh, you know, if you were going to start from scratch, then yeah, this is more complex. I mean, I thought nine ninety nine was uh, nine hundred ninety nine was pretty reasonable given the potential return. I mean, for a name band, as it were, hmm. like you say, it's a reasonable no brainer. I lost interest at the bit where it said transcribe a vocal performance to MIDI, differentiating between vowels and consonants <laughs> by viewing the waveform. Yeah, that uh, that, that was a sort shot. of, I was thinking, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, and I lost interest in, in the play the game proficiently on all instruments at all difficulty levels. Yeah, you see, now I could lose six months trying to do that. Yeah, that's going to take you more than two weeks, surely. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I, I mean, it, it would make sense to maybe pay someone to do that in that case. Because, I mean, I, I suppose if you end up with revenue splits going on, so you just go, I'll tell you what, you know, you could actually end up with people who can just do the trans, you know, the actual transcoding or the, the the authoring process offering discounts to things that they think will sell there's a concept yeah. so they actually end up becoming like a and r or labels there's an idea mm -hmm. but uh, i suppose uh, that the, the, one of the other problems is i did notice you know there was uh, all these keyboard parts sort of going down the fretboard which kind of looked a bit wrong to me as well as drums, I don't, I don't really understand how that works. But I, I'm, I'm very um, sorry uh, to say that I've never played it. I, I don't know whether I should be proud or ashamed of that. <laughs> Mixture of both, probably. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I, I watch it being played quite often. Uh huh. And uh, I got I, every now and again you hear that my son is playing some ridiculous metal piece at the highest level and you hear this extraordinarily fast clicking coming off of the guitar controller. It's just like wailing away and his left hand is flailing across those four buttons and, uh, and he gets a great score. And he plays online against other people and he loves it. And it might worry me, except he also plays about five other instruments well. So I figure it's not a replacement for anything. Right. No, well, Exactly. I, it's. I did. I know. I. I. I'm really interested to see how this works out, and where maybe where the charts are, and you know, and see what the whether we get get to see what the uh, uh, whether we get to see what the hell are we talking about? Let's get on to something important, like Lady Gaga says John Van. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, this is a Lady Gaga free episode, and I could probably find some reason to include her if you really want to, but I, I'm not. Um, anyway, worth do you get any promotion? I mean, once you've kind of done all of this and then it's been accepted i don't think so because i think you yeah. you buy these online don't you so you know you have to promote it to uh we promote all this kind of stuff you know you have to promote it yourself and that, so there's additional money that goes into the promotion i mean i would imagine th 999 dollars doesn't really cover a kind of xbox live kind of level global marketing campaign mm. either no fair enough but you know 
that's a punt. I mean, a thousand bucks, it sounds like a lot of money to invest up front, but, you know, a couple of weeks and all that time learning is going to take a lot of your time and got to be worth a try. Mm-hmm. Well, it might be if you want to spend all that money. Yeah. Sample toy is a radical new musical instrument. Part sampler. Part granular synthesizer. Granular synthesizer. Part granular synthesizer. Is a radical. Oh, that hurts, actually, in the headphones. It's a little bit too high-pitched for my tired old ears. Uh, so that is Sample Toys, new iPhone application. It's kind of like a sampler. I, I mean, and you can. Create your own instruments out of any sound. You know, you record stuff in via the mic or via a headset. Uh, built-in resonant filters, multi-touch, chromatic main and major, pentatonic whole tone scale to be played, 44 kilohertz, 16-bit uh, comprehensive man- manual. It did look pretty good. I don't know, Dave, you're the uh, iPhone owner. Have you bought oh, it? I have, yeah, but I haven't had a chance to install it. I only, I only got it this morning and thought, right, I'm going to go out and muck about with that later on today for a bit of a break. What a bargain price as well. One ninety nine, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know, he's, I don't know whether he's coded this himself, because it's a pretty good way in. And I, I can see he's probably going to make a few quid out of this, to be honest. It's got good press. In it. It looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was impressed. When you get to, when you, you know, and th- this again, it, all it, to me, all of these things tend to do is just kind of go, right, when the iPad comes, would it work? I don't know if you can get an audio into it, input to an iPad, iPad. I'm not sure. But, you know, you think... Anything to play with a larger surface area has got to be kind of uh, starting to get exciting, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm mm. betting that the iPad has the same connection technology as the existing phone and iPods. Yeah, probably. Unless there's some compelling reason why that connector is too small to stuff all of the things they want in the iPad in there, I would think they'll use the standard connector. You'd, have, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? Which means that whatever audio interfaces exist now for iPod Touches will hopefully work the same in an iPad. Yeah. But, uh, assuming, yeah. They, assuming they do release it. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's been delayed, hasn't it, for yeah, some reason? Date back. Not much, though. That was a nice iPhone app. Uh, that's mm-hmm. Marek Bereza, and it's called Sample Toy, and I thoroughly... Uh, I, well, I, I, can't, I haven't got anything to play it on. I think I might have to actually... Uh, get hold of one of the new uh, iPod Touches because I've, of course, got the iPod Touch that doesn't support audio input hardware, so I can't actually run any of this stuff on it. Uh, anyway, um, I guess I could do an ad now because um, it's about halfway, just before halfway. So we'd like to introduce our our show sponsor, who are Yamaha.co.uk. Of course, um, we're heading towards Mesa, and um, there's a but there's a bit of news. They've got a new podcast out. The March issue uh, is uh, it's a bit. Of a round table where they talk about the new pocket track c24 portable recorder that's the tiny little thing that um had, had a pair of a stereo mics and i think it's got a remote control with it but it's really small uh, it's just started shipping it's in the stores and they said they're getting some great user feedback uh, they also record some some audio in the podcast using the po- uh, pocket track so people can get an, an, an understanding of the sound quality uh, they also demonstrate the new yamaha multipad which is dtx multi 12 which we have in fact also just reviewed ourselves and i have to say rocking piece of hardware that is maybe not all the internal sounds are to your liking but you can load up to 64 megs of your own sample waveform in there which is non-volatile so once you've constructed a sort of a set 
you just switch on switch off and it, it comes back as you want it which i think is a real boost for if you consider you know live drummers because this has always been one of the problems certainly when i've been putting live productions together you know you get the akai and you got the interface and it's always just you know the akai's fall into bits and it's just oh it's a nightmare whereas this it actually integrates directly into the kit it's pretty sturdy dcx12 anyway they talk about it on the podcast which is uh, the yamaha download and of course uh, you can check out all the other articles and things that are going on at the yamaha download um by signing up to their newsletter uh, what i would say is uh, if you go from sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha it will give them an idea of where all this traffic is coming from uh, also oh by the way they're also shipping the cp1 stage piano which uses their spectral component modeling i think we shot a video of that i know rich you might be interested in it and it says um you know you should you should really try it out and obviously you can get you know they say in fact i'm quoting all their websites and communication technology in the world is no substitute for actually going to a store and sitting down and playing one so far they're getting amazing feedback from key artists about this piano obviously it's not cheap but it's an amazing instrument that needs to be played so if you get a chance to go and check it out head over to the yamaha store near you and uh, look at the cp1 so that's pretty much covers the yamaha sponsorship slot for the the show and we'd like to say thank you once again for them and their continued sponsorship remember sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha will take you all the directions you need to go what's next ah boffin alert skin put popular science hi I'm Chris Harrison. Advances in electronics have allowed mobile devices to become very small, so much so they could benefit greatly from having extra surface area available for interaction. However, we don't want to carry around extra surfaces, especially for input. In my research, I think about clever ways to appropriate surfaces that are already around us, like tables and walls. In this video, I'm going to talk about skinput a bioacoustic sensing technology that allows our body to be used as a large finger input surface, which doesn't require any electronics to be placed on the skin. Now, this is a very interesting idea. Uh, basically, you wear a band on your arm, and the acoustic, you can tach, tap and touch your arm, and the band has got a pickup in it that, that responds to things like you know flesh and bone density and resonance. So it can tell where and what you're hitting, points you're touching on your hand. So you can use, you know, if you project an image onto that as well, so you can actually create menus and sort of input devices, which is kind of a bit cosmic, really. I mean, it sounds a bit sort of out there and, and, and sort of crazy. But if you consider, you know... Most we can, we're talking about computers that can be the size of a postage stamp at the moment, and the thing that really kind of is the big stuff is the input device and the monitoring device. So if that is becomes essentially nothing or any surface or your arm or whatever your hand, we're talking some pretty um, interesting potential here, are we not? That's quite trippy, isn't it? Yeah, it's all a bit bionic robotic, isn't it? Um, interestingly enough, the guy, one of the guys behind it is Dan Morris. And Dan Morris was also one of the guys, because it's a Microsoft research uh, p- partnership, behind Songsmith. If you remember the cracking software that you could sing into that would make cheesy arrangements for you, and th- there were all those re- um, remixed videos, if you saw those. So he's, he's obviously a bit, of a, uh, a bit of a man to watch, I'd say. I know, Rich, <laughs> what, what, are you, what are your thoughts on this? Could you... Uh... Not sure as it relates to the skin and the thumping of your body. <laughs> but, but Drumming on in- your knees. But as relates to the idea that they're analyzing that kind of data and deriving reliable trigger mechanisms, that interests me, whether it be there or on a tabletop or whatever, because, I mean, we've already envisioned the day where you won't have to bring a keyboard anywhere because there's this silly little light 
light emitting source that just kind of projects a keyboard onto your tabletop and you type on that and it works. So we've already seen that, which is light, obviously light oriented. And now we've seen this thing, which is apparently measuring the audio coming off of your body and how it's different when you tap your wrist as compared to when you tap your elbow as your forearm is facing your face. And, uh, that means to me that they're deriving various kinds of pitch and, and duration information and making assumptions about it in order to get the reliable information. That part interests me. I'm not sure I envision a future where people are holding their forearms out in front of them and playing Tetris or, you know, any more than I envisioned a future where, you know, your house would be dwarfed by the extraordinarily huge garage that houses your personal Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> or flying car. Exactly. Well, uh, I don't know. I think it's got potential. I mean, obviously, this is early days. You see the scan rate. There's a sort of bar going across the buttons. I mean, it looked actually very similar to the sort of button making and stuff that you got on the uh, on the Jazz Mutant, the Lima thing. You know, so you've got these kind of quite simple structures, but there were sort of hierarchical menus and all sorts of things. There's some great qu- there are some great quotes uh, quotes in the chat room. Uh, Kiwi Steve says, uh, "So if you scratch your manhood, then what does it play?" But a bing, um, a small surface, <laughs> better, better to do a beer belly projection. I can, I can, I can dig that. I see what you're saying. Interesting, interesting idea, and and also, but what got me about it really was just the, the, the kind of the fact that it is very, it is very flying car in 21st century. I'm not quite sure how the projection thing would work because obviously that needs to be. I don't. I didn't get where it was projected from. Where there was some some giant overhead projector that you also have to strap on somewhere, which makes it obviously a little bit less appealing uh, when you consider the, hot, the the heat and stuff that would output. But um, <laughs> what about t- tattoos? You know, you could tattoo like a a quirky keyboard into your forearm. You or know, an Imposca two for that. Matter. An Imposca two control <laughs> surface, Dave. How about that? Oh, we've been our time. A soft synth of your of your type. Maybe what you need to do. Forearm. Yeah, you need. <laughs> Don't you remember there was that story um, some some years back about the uh, the woman who auctioned uh, some space on her chest or forehead or something for twenty um, for twenty grand she got branded with something and she kept she she eBayed it she eBayed advertising space on her forehead. So you could kind of maybe put something similar. I don't think eBay allows such auctions anymore, but you know, <laughs> yeah, less permanent. You could wander around trade shows with big logos on. Yeah. Now, there's a thought. Or you could actually have um, physically well-endowed individuals with projections on the various parts of their body that you would then have to kind of interact with to make things happen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I'll riffing. tell you how I get on. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this is, again, it's this. Uh, so Chris Harrison, uh, Desney Tan, and Dan Morris. Dan Morris being the voice, the, the name we've heard before. In fact, I think he was the guy that I interviewed uh, a couple of nams ago, or maybe it was a mess ago, um, with about Songsmith, where I actually got them talking about the Microsoft research stuff. So, so uh, and they were they were pretty, you know, they seem to be very good at getting their research stuff out there and covered which is uh, obviously a skill in itself. Skinput, um, and that was again on Popular Science, which is a great website. I do like that one. It's got lots of, well, popular science. The title of this one is Stuff You Never Use But Can't Bring Yourself to Get Rid Of. 
Uh, and if you think about it, and well, certainly if I do, it's probably about 40% or more of my stuff, I reckon, that I don't, I'm talking musical equipment and studio equipment, that I don't use or don't use very often. And I wondered whether or not there was any percentages you'd care to share. I think we'll start with you, Dave, because I know you have the reputation of being a little little bit of a hoarder. <laughs> yes. and, and, you know, what, what can you do about it? What can you do about it? I think it's a genetic thing. I think you're genetically programmed to hoard. Do you? Or I am, at least. My dad's just unbelievable. We drove up there the other day, and Mark keeps going on about collecting this motorcycle. I drove up to his place. Bearing in mind, he lives in this amazing neck of the woods. And uh, Chris and I drove up there the other day to pick up a flight case from the barn. And as we drove up, there was just all this stuff kind of scattered around everywhere, chairs and bits of tat everywhere, which is a bit like every cupboard in my house. Uh, what can't I get rid of? I can't get rid of any DAC player, even though I can't remember the last time I turned any of those DAC machines on. I was uh, so uh, close with a DAC with Mark. I sent it to Mark to use, and I thought, that was it. Or was it you? No, I got rid of my DAC to you, in fact. Yes, and yes. I, did, I nearly got rid of my other portable DAC to Mark, but um, he couldn't get it working, so he sent it back. So it was so close. I'm looking at Planet Fat, a U110, a U220... The D110, oh God, just tons. I've still got a D110. Uh, and I can't remember the last time they were turned on. A Cheetah MS800, I can't remember the last time that was turned on. Loads of Roland Sound canvases, or is that Canvi? Canvi, yes, I'm not sure. That's a good question. <laughs> I'm looking at Would the collective noun be a tent or a sale of those, perhaps? <laughs> Uh, DR110, I think I got that for my 21st birthday. Can't bring myself to throw that away. Just too much, basically. It'll come in useful one day. My dad's got a motto, and it's, and, and it's when it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. And I think that's more of a kind of mission statement for me. Really. I still got a uh, my live rack, which I think has got some... Oh gosh, some multi-gates and, and compressors that uh, where the knobs have just sort of seized solid that probably just don't, will never be useful again. I, I think I'm going to donate those to my local pub that has just started to do live music because I'm just never going to use them again because I'm not going to be able to sell them either. So that's another thing. But now, and that's the bizarre thing, isn't it, with a lot of this stuff. It's kind of, it's worth more to me just to hang on to it than it is to get rid of it. Just one day. I've got a mountain of general music keyboards downstairs in the cupboard and you know, you probably couldn't give them away on no, either. No, do you know what? We get loads of requests for general mu- general music stuff. People really? saying, where can I get one of these? Do they still sell them? And you can't buy them anymore, can you? Because they're a discontinued brand. Is that right? I think the whole company's gone yeah. to the wall. Well, yeah. tell us what you got, because I reckon if you put those on eBay, you would actually get... You'd flog them. Oh, brilliant. Because I think a, a, lot of those... of, a lot of people um, who do solo performances and do kind of, you know, karaoke-type gigs or, or you know, just covers gigs use them. Ah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I've got a couple of the style keyboards, a couple of those Pro Two pianos. In fact, one of them's completely busted. And I had this kind of idea that Chris and I were going to take it out in the field and shoot it with the shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> For any particular reason, just the pleasure of it, or uh... we were going to film it because obviously we get people ring us up and go, "Can you fix this?" and "Can you fix that?" and we thought, "Well, yeah, we can. We'll just take it out and shoot it. <laughs> That's fixed." <laughs> <laughs> get Diego Stocko to come out as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Put a few contact mics on it and stuff. <laughs> Set light to that, Diego. 
I don't know. I, I, Rich, are you the same way? Are you kind of, or are you able to? Uh, I mean, you know, generally well, in uh, in the states, one generally has a little bit more space for storage, you know, than than certainly in the UK. Property is a little bit more spacious generally. I don't. I don't have a barn. <laughs> no, I know, but you know, you got like maybe a garage or a loft or a cellar or you know that kind of there's, stuff. There's stuff shoved in various places. Um, I guess for me, the topic kind of morphs into stuff I just never managed to get rid of. That's still here. Um, because any one of these ob- items I'm about to list is not only freely for sale, but in many cases, just come take it. Um, I have a Yamaha CP60 electric grand with MIDI in my garage. Ooh, you <laughs> could get good money for that. Uh, it's got a busted pickup. Can't, you, I can't even get somebody to come and take it away. Good money. I, I think I'm going to have to pay to get rid of it. Um, what a, I mean, uh, my kids now reuse quite a bit I, I, my gear from 30 years ago playing gigs is still here for the most part i got rid of the Wurlitzer piano but the moog is still here my amps are still here um my pedals i have an original mutron phaser which isn't for sale by the way um mm. uh but then then i look at this desk which is rack module circa mid 90s i guess and uh this is a come and get it. Some of these are come and get it, and some of these are not much money. But there's a Kurzweil K2000 sampler with all the expansion boards in it. There's a Roland JD990. There's a Roland P330. There's a here's a rare piece, an Insonic MR rack. I have uh, an AS with, with expansion boards, by the way. I have uh, an ASR10 sampler. I've got a DAT machine. I've got uh, behind me. I've got a uh, a pump organ with oh, reeds yeah. in it that I bought off a lady who was selling us who was having a you know a house sale she was moving and we went there to actually i believe well we went there to look at this thing and we ended up buying all of her dishes <laughs> um and then <laughs> it's true and and uh what else you know I, I mean i could just look around it's all you know heck you know the the, the polymook literature on my floor is for sale if you got the right you know note. what rich i think you win this hands down <laughs> i thought i uh, me and david bad but i i think actually you've definitely got us trumped so far I've oh, got the MS- I can hear Pete. I can hear the virtual starting of John Van Eaton's car engine. He says, "I'm on my way." <laughs> I've got the MS20 over there that I'm hoping to retire on. Yeah, that's worth keeping. I've still got my MS20. I've got a clavinet pianet duo that Ooh. I bought brand new when Honer went down for 250 bucks. Wow! I bought the CP60. Cost me 100 bucks. Wow. They were they were also willing to pay people to take it away at that point. Maybe um, you should sell the CP60 one key at a time. Turn them into some <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, some some kind of implement. Can't you have them carved each key carved into a spoon or a spork or a fork or something? I no. don't know. It, you know the, the tricky thing with the CP60 is because it works for the it actually basically works except one of the pickups is dead. And according to a friend of mine who's got a repair shop, and I'm sure that uh, Kent will set me straight if he's wrong. You basically have to remove all the strings to get to the pickup. Oh. <laughs> Ouch. That's Ouch. a very poor design <laughs> right there. If I'm not mistaken, that's true. And, uh, or to do any kind of serious work on it. Now, you know, yeah, that's if, a- I had Kent, if I had Kent here, maybe we'd find out differently. But, but <laughs> That's a kind of, yeah, that's a bit of a game over, isn't you know, it? Really? You know, it's interesting. The, the handles on it that swing out 90 degrees so that you can actually move it fairly easily – um, are actually motorcycle footrests <laughs> from Yamaha's motorcycle line. Really? At Brilliant. least they sure do look like it. 
because they swing out 90 degrees and lock so that you can then control. The thing stands when it's folded up kind of like a monolith on, on wheels with a, with a dolly at each end kind of. And yeah. these handles swing out at each end so that you can maneuver it quite easily actually. I mean I wouldn't want to have to bring it to a gig, but you could maneuver it pretty easily. And the MIDI, you know, as much as piano MIDI works for anybody, it works fine on this thing. A, I always found it very uh, odd to be do, programming MIDI from an actual piano sound. A yeah. piano action. It feels weird to me. And I always hear those notes, even if it's not plugged in. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. if, like, for example, you try to program drums from your Yamaha CP60 with MIDI, it just it feels really weird because you're hearing these odd notes <laughs> yeah. playing high <laughs> patterns. Bing, and <laughs> if you think about what octave range those notes are in, typically it's some stupidly low notes, yeah. like real close together in no particular harmonic configuration if you're doing, like, a hi-hat pattern. So it's... Uh, well, there odd. must be yeah, there must be a pedal that you could have fitted that damped all the strings. Oh, I got a I got a Kurzweil one thousand PX downstairs. I that that's uh, very close to the come and get it. <laughs> wow. Rich, I think you're going to find you've got a lot more friend requests on Facebook in the next twenty four hours. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't believe it for a minute. I've advertised all of this stuff. <laughs> oh, have you? I have, and it's just yeah, nobody's interested. Even the Kurzweil for cheap. I mean, a K2000 loaded with expansion boards and a sampling option and the digital in and out and everything is, a, you know, pretty – to this day, it's a pretty great synth and a pretty cool machine. You can barely give the thing away. Whoa. It's true. I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, well, anyway, I'm not going to – you know best. I thought so too. <laughs> we could, we so could so pull too. all our tat together. What, and have like a, a virtual car boot sale? Yeah, a massive one. Mm. A virtual one, yeah. A virtual like car booty. Mm. Yeah, and then we'll split it and go down the pub. <laughs> Virtually. <laughs> well, anyway, um, that's a kind of catalogue of, uh, of of the stuff that we've got that don't use. And everybody's the same, aren't they? They're always, you know, kind of, they're always the same. It's just, it's just, a, you know, <laughs> what can drum you do kits. about it? Drum kits. Yeah, you must Still have a bunch of several drum kits. kits. There's four oh. drum kits in my basement. Whoa. <laughs> you could make one massive, massive kit and do a uh, YouTube video and retire off the advertising. Yeah, we could. There's three, drummer, there's three drummers in the house, so that wouldn't work for them. Mm, okay. <laughs> oh, well, my, well, they need... my son James might like it, actually. Well, that's cool. <laughs> anyway, that stuff you never use but can't bring yourself to rid of, uh, I just thought it was worth a bit of discussion, and it sounds like um, it's yielded some solid gold. Right there. Uh, finally, uh, we've got 30 Ableton tips. And this uh, I've just realised I haven't got a clip for this, which is a bit foolish of me, because uh, I was actually... Um, let's see if I can get it now. Might be able to do it. Because uh, it's brilliant. He's This guy is awesome. And just talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Where is that tumbleweed? Hold on, let's just... Uh, <laughs> just keep that going while I'm... While I'm waiting for this to download, and then there I can go. replace ah, it with ah, a bit of... Uh, with a bit of action, although... Tom Cosm, anyway, one of the finest exponents of uh, kind of Ableton Live and quick tips and whatever. Here we go. I'll just play a short clip. 
Welcome to the third edition of uh, 10 very quick, simple little Ableton Live tips to help speed up your production. This one's going to be a little bit more production focused and a slightly little bit more advanced than last time. Okay, so the first tip I've got here is use the utility for gain control. Um, what I mean by this is if we load up in a utility over here, you see the utility has this gain knob. This is really good because you can use this as a volume. We're at 0 dB, we can go down to negative 35. I won't play it all because it's about 10 minutes long. So, uh, but basically, that's Tom Cosman. He's done thirty tips for Ableton Live, and without doubt, I can't think of the one that isn't a complete, you know, that isn't actually really useful. Did you learn anything, Rich? I did see it, and I watched the whole thing through. I learned a little bit. Uh, some of what he covers is sort of. It's interesting as I watched it. Some of what he covers is what is to me basic engineering theory. But it's stuff you picked up back then through being around studios and the apprenticing process, whereas today there is no such process. So it occurred to me as I was watching it that this then becomes the distribution network for that kind of information as well as the Ableton-specific information. So, for example, the gain utility that we just heard described, this is a bit... This is a time, as long as there's been automation, there's been this need to, after your automation, either increase or re decrease the level of the whole thing overall. It's always existed. We found ways around it on analog consoles. There's ways around it in every piece of software. And now we know the way around it in Ableton, which is actually kind of elegant and cool. Um, but what it does more is express the need to me. And, and it, uh, along the way, um, among his 10 tips, probably five of them related to what I consider to be simple engineering routing issues that people just might not have thought of that are, in fact, handled very easily within Ableton Live. And it's one of the things I like about the program. Oh, that's, so yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a fascinating point because it did that, that the first tip, which was basically how to uh, adjust the gain of a fully automated track without having to re-automate it, essentially. Um, right. You know, it's, which you might think, oh, it's obvious, but it's not obvious. I mean, certainly in, in some programs, you'd actually have to put a plug-in in and just kind of take it up or down based on that. And that, that's just a really top tip, actually. But there's a whole bunch of other ones as well. I mean, I, I did, um, I, I did, yeah, I did enjoy that. Dave, was there anything specific for you that uh, particularly? Uh, yeah, very useful one for me in the beat slicing thing. I thought, oh, that looks nice and easy. I will use that. Was that the one yeah. with the random sounds or the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, and it was just really nice, nice and quick. It was good, actually. It was very good. I did. I watched the whole thing. He's brilliant. And very interesting. It kind of, par you know, my thoughts parallel exactly what Rich said in a way. It's that actually I think what you're doing is taking an awful lot of tips that have existed for a long time in various other, on various other sort of platforms in the traditional studio environment and introducing them to Ableton users because they're not the same people who've come up through that kind of working in a studio as a T-boy mm -hmm. and learning the craft. So yeah, very good. Did you think that there was there anything? Um, I mean, the other the other the other point I had on this uh, topic was, you know, is there anything specific that you've learned, not necessarily from this, but one kind of eureka point where you either discovered it for yourself or somebody gave you a tip that made you ch it just completely changed thing, changed the game for you. Uh, yeah, side chaining actually with that, you know, side chaining a noise gate with a hi hat and stuff like that. I'd done it in uh, MIDI with controller 11 and controller 7 for, for ages, and then somebody went, actually, you can get it a lot tighter if you do this. I was like, oh, wow. But I have to say, the best, the best tip I was ever given, and this doesn't relate to anything software-wise or musically, it's just a general tip, and for, it's the one thing that's stuck in my head forever, and that is the only difference between you and somebody who's done, has already done it 
is that they've done it. And it's so simple, but it's so <laughs> true. Cool. Loads of people say, oh, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, but they don't. The difference is, is that that person did it. Well, that, that can, yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, that can almost, you know, it's like when you hear music that's sort of so simple and so popular, and you just think, oh, well, that's easy, you know, but it's, it's not easy, necessarily. It's the, 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 the difficulty is execution. Yeah. Do yes, it. I would agree with you there. How about you, Rich? Have you got anything particular that uh, has a particular resonance or... Well, yeah, I, I related one last week as related to engineering that my uh, my good buddy and late friend Clay uh, had told me, um, go out there, listen, move your ear around, find the music and put a mic there. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, that's, a, that's a really good one. Um, most, they were mostly application specific. There was something somebody showed me about setting up a few quick keys to operate certain things in Pro Tools that uh, weren't automatable from within the program that sped up my workflow tremendously and became a very deep part of my editing workflow for, oh, the better part of 10 years. Though today, I don't find I need to do it so much, which is good because I no longer use quick keys and I can't seem to get the other keys that Apple provides to do it properly. But but um, but I don't need, because of the way the workflow has changed as a result of the introduction of new features, I don't need to do that so much anymore. So right. it was incredibly right. yeah, yeah, yeah. valuable to me for those six to eight years where I needed to be able to do that quickly, and it would take me 20 minutes to explain what this is. But, it, I mean, in simple terms, it was switching the, um, the time grid from bars, between bars and beats, minutes and seconds and samples quickly as I was editing because I would need to be in grid mode most of the time, but I would need to switch the samples to, to nudge things very quickly, and I don't like when my counter and my nudge values are representing different things because it confuses me so it there okay. was a whole it fit so, with a particular style and a technique you you were using right. that i used to do what now is much more easily done with elastic audio anyway and i don't have to do manually so much so i it, it hardly i hardly ever miss that but still it was extraordinarily useful to me back when i was using um, analog signal paths to control things. I got lots of great advice from the people I was around and watching them use things. And, and uh, I've learned so much watching other people. And it's just down to how you integrate it into your own personal expression of music, music aesthetic in the things you do. Because what we do is we bring a musical aesthetic to a technical pursuit. Yes. And uh, the better you assimilate what other people are doing, the more you can personalize that and express it in your own way in a creative, in a creative manner. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think of, of, of anything that, uh, that I think the only the, the thing that made the really big difference was uh, I think it was Dickie Chappell at Real World said you should really try Logic and uh, gave, me a, <laughs> gave me a copy. And so I did, and it was just like, whoa, that's, you know, that changed everything. But that wasn't really a tip or a trick. It was a tip as in, like, this is the environment to use. I mean, compared to what was available at the time, it was streets ahead. I mean, obviously, things have changed enormously since then. Um, but like I've said, I've moved back to Logic uh, from, from – uh, I used to edit all the podcasts in Sony Vegas, uh, which I still use for video, but I just – I found it much easier just to stay in the Apple environment. So, you know, that's what I tend to use. But uh, on that note, I mean, I've been – since I've been editing more video, I've I found, uh, again, there's a, a thing called the Shuttle Pro, which is uh, like a little kind of 
jog wheel with a few buttons on it but that's got a little macro recorder or macro editor in it that you can sequence up keystrokes and and what have you you can do really powerful things like for instance when i was shooting the yamaha dtx review uh what i did uh, because the 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 recorder i've got now the, the, the video recorder i've got now actually is manual I can put two mics into it so I can have I've got this little passive mixer which was like 30 bucks so I can have the main talent in one side and me in another side but obviously when I stick that on the timeline it's left and right so I've cut a keystroke that what it does is duplicate the audio track and switch each audio track into the left and the right only respectively so I've got discrete audio pan center you know for instance and that's one keystroke and those sort of things really help make the work less of a pain in the ass because there's nothing worse really when you when construct confronted with a task with a uh, you know a task of having to repeat and repetitively do things so i think there's actually quite a lot of it. time spent on refining your workflow is that is time well spent i think very much yeah mm-hmm. but anyway tom cosm he is the man when it comes to ableton live stuff i mean i've never i've not seen anybody else as able to get the stuff across in a really succinct and um, you know direct manner he's absolutely brilliant i think we featured a couple of his videos before and that was again that was uh, I, and the guy synthtopia beat me to that one otherwise i put it on sonic but uh, it sort of got there via the podcast so well done james that was a very good find um okay well there's we're pretty much nearly there apart from the the last one i wanted to finish on which just takes as we're heading into trade show territory um not next week but the week after we'll be heading off to music Mesa, and behringer have uh, announced um that they're going to be doing a virtual trade show a virtual booth huh. uh, an experimental and it's open starting on march the 24th so and i've looked and if you look at the picture in that link it's actually a direct it's it's a physical copy of the booth so they've obviously bought this booth structure that they're shipping around so it makes it easy for them to kind of set up how they want and uh it's uli himself says this online feature is a simple high-tech solution that will allow visitors to view all of our new products and gain information on the brands without have, leaving the comfort of their living room and i'm thinking that's pretty innovative if they do it right everybody's going to be watching that surely dave i mean i can imagine you sitting in your living room with your giant imposca 2 hardware controller showing off imposca it's got to be a- oh that'd be nice just give me a chat room and you know when i've got 20 people i'll do a demo i like the idea of that particularly for Mesa. Mesa's kind of pricing itself out of the world i think yeah, well, we did find we did manage to find a flight and hotel for a, a reasonable cost this time, oh. finally. But uh, it did it, probably the amount of time it took us to research <laughs> probably made it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, great idea. I and mean, Behringer are kind of being, you know, from from being quiet and not doing much, um, they're really starting to sort of think outside the box a little bit and if they if they get this going that would be a really i think a good thing and also you know we talked about their synth uh for those in the uk apparently now you know they're reaching out korg are going to be distributing distributing behringer in the uk which is kind of a bit of a a kind of double take sort of headline you know but it's true that's amazing from may the first um korg are going to be distributing behringer stuff and it's just quite an interesting thing and i think you know this maybe we're going to see them being sort of quite pioneering which would be kind of good, I suppose, because I mean, obviously, they've been thought of as in in the past as people who've who followed followed the trend rather than led the trend. But this thing looks very very much like they might be actually starting a big new thing. And you could have it so that it's like that chat roulette. So it would be like sort of trade show roulette. Have you seen that? Where you can kind of log on to this chat roulette site and 
you basically just kind of you can kick somebody off every second if you want and just see another person so you could do you could effectively if you if you married the two you could do a trade show in probably about an hour <laughs> yeah no one at all seeing anything <laughs> i was just thinking we could turn sonic so you know because it's like uh, it's like those um adult sites where they all sort of say you know live chat you know ch- chat to me now etc etc we could just have that sort of type of advertising all over sonic during trade show time so it'd be like it'd be like true gear porn <laughs> we could actually adopt all the por- all the pornographic advertising techniques just for just for tra- virtual trade shows. The mind boggles. <laughs> oh yeah, and Andy's just handed me a note saying, "Didn't Yamaha try it already?" But I think they did something for dealers. It was an online dealer yes. thing, but we- I didn't get to see that because I think I was at a trade show. Um, did I, did I, did you get a chance to see that, Dave? Did you see the results of it? See how it worked? I didn't. I didn't know. I saw all the ads over. I think it was MI Pro. They were promoting it yeah. in the mag here. Um, but, I, I meant to check it out, but I do think it's a very good idea. I do too. Um, it's going to happen. Apparently, uh, Ustream is uh, all the rage at the moment. Again, you know, it's back in the. It's starting to kind of on the rise, so you can do live broadcast there and record things, and it might be worth a try. So you imagine if somebody comes in with a, with uh, you get maybe three or four people in a space all with their own feeds out and you just basically say right we just put a front front end on it and come and sign up we sign up give us your email address and you get to watch the demo and interact with the demonstrator and ask questions and things i mean jesus it's got to be better i mean you're putting all that money in and obviously it's no good for selling to buyers and you know those kind of trade relations that you get but for people who just has a casual interest or want to check this stuff out if you get an email address in return that's got to be a great model because i mean at a trade show you get nothing generally i mean unless you get a card out of somebody but the casual observer you don't get anything from them really do you well they've typically got these barcodes on the on the name tags now so the game becomes how many of those things can you scan while you're there right okay that's certainly at aes they do it don't they i I haven't seen that happen at nam or mesa so much maybe they do it at mesa not sure maybe they do it actually makes sense because it minimizes the number of business cards you have to hand out yeah and hope and hope for return you know on yeah, I'm, I'm really well. If I wasn't at Music Messer, I'd actually like to check this out. But unfortunately, I'm going to be at Music Messer, which means I'm unable to check it. But if anyone doesn't go, perhaps um, Rich, could you check out the Behringer stand and see, you know, see what that looks like? Because that would be very sure. interesting. I'd love to love to get your your thoughts on it. Because if they do it right, I think it could be a great a great concept. Well, I, I, I gather this will replace their normal booth at the event. I'm not sure. I think they're going to be at Music Messer anyway. See, I don't know. Is that right? I, in other words, I, I, I kind of saw this as a cost-cutting measure to prevent them from having to really exhibit as much of a print. Like, in other words, as we see companies not exhibiting as much at the various shows. Oh, yeah. Well, I think ultimately that's going to be the goal, but I don't think that's actually what's happening this time. I'd have to check that, but I, I'm pretty sure they are going to be at Music Matter as well. The thing, the thing about the virtualizing of that experience is what I think everybody forgets is the people. It's important that you see and shake the hands and talk to the people and get together with those people. And it's, it's an important social atmosphere and it keeps people in work. You could have more of these kind of events that were key to your own product releases. Your product, yeah. so you could you could do them, you know, on your own, you know. So yeah, you'd still do one or two big trade shows, but you could do lots of little things that were, you know, and cut out maybe some of the smaller ones that weren't weren't going so well or whatever. You know, you could be a bit more proactive and pick and choose. Right, but in that regard, how is it any different from a fancy website? 
Well, well, because, maybe you just well, because you have, well, I mean, my idea would be you would have personnel on tap. So, you know, you go, right, on Tuesday afternoons, or this Tuesday afternoon, there will be five product specialists with this product that you can come along and talk to. And they'll each be doing, each, you know, each session will be limited to five or ten minutes or whatever, and they'll do, they'll just do them back to back, and you can come alongside. You could service, you know, what, a couple of thousand people in that day, which with one-to-one stuff. Sort of a live video webcast? Yeah, interactive Uh, thing. uh, Sort of like Sonic Talk, but with video and a product that we're kind of going, right, what about this, what about that? It's an interesting concept. I I like it very much. But yes, you're right. You miss out the people thing. I mean, that's for sure, you know. But but hey, I mean, all of those nuts and bolts would have to be ironed out. Which in some cases isn't a negative. Sorry, I had to say that. that. Some people are not sensitive to what's actually happening. It was just brilliant. And then this other woman's kind of hovering around during the entire interview. And then the minute we're finished, I think I, w- I think I was with Andy at the time, and the minute we're finished, she kind of comes up and says, oh, can I use your computer to check my email on the internet? It's like, no, no. <laughs> well, anyway, I, I think that brings us to a sort of uh, close. Uh, um, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. And um, thanks to everybody for joining us in our virtual live chat room and uh, trade show we're going to get i think we'll get to to a video streaming thing and perhaps we could start introducing some products because i have it on good authority that i am going to be the recipient of a couple of ex- world exclusive roland units that's all i can say at this point Woo-hoo. at some point in the not too distant future um and we're hopefully we might be able to do some stuff with that and oh yeah by the way um do check out the yamaha dtx uh, that was paddy mack our new one of our new reviewers did a great job for his first first go thought he did a fantastic job so we're looking out for some more from stuff from him yamaha dtx multi 12 great pad system and uh, that kind of ties in nicely with our show sponsor yamaha you can go to sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha to uh, check out what they've got to offer particularly their latest podcast so um thanks one again everybody for listening in live it's been a great pleasure and also thanks to dave and rich for joining me live on the line uh, we'll say goodbye to rich hilton from connecticut uh, i guess people can check you out on uh, MySpace, can they? MySpace, Facebook. Yeah, all that the stuff. The personal website. All of that emails. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Rich, thank you very much for joining us. Have a great uh, day at work and uh, the rest of the week with you too. Thank you, fellas. And also, Dave Spears, G4 Software. Thank you. Uh, There's no in a week of hell. Um, anyway, um, that was Sonic Talk number 168. Uh, thank you very much. Remember, next week we'll be on. I think the week after is Music Mesa, so we'll be down. We won't be doing a show then. The show that starts, that's the, the week starting 23rd of March. Thank you, one and all. Sonic Talk number 168 is finito. In a little while, the night is deep enough.